Jesus' name. Amen. The Gospel of John, chapter six, chapter 10, sorry, beginning at verse 6. And it read, those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers. But the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who came in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him. And he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he is working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. Just as my father knows me, and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. Today I want to talk to you about the good shepherd. I told you I had nothing to do with the choir selection. The good shepherd. So I believe that God definitely wants to say something to us. At the beginning of our verse, we have a group of people who want to Jesus to clarify what it is that he meant by the parable that he spoke at the beginning of this chapter. Jesus would oftentimes, as we know, speak to people in parables because he wanted to get a message across to them. He wanted them to know a heavenly message because parables are that kind of stories. Those stories that Jesus used that have earthly um, places, but they have a heavenly message behind it. And not often time was it given for all of those present to understand exactly what it is Jesus was trying to reveal. But his disciples, they were in a place of privilege because they had the opportunity often time for Jesus to break this down for them so that they could better understand what it is that he was trying to communicate to them. As we look at verse um, 6, we recognize certain things, three things to pull out from there quickly that I want you to know. First of all, it is okay 
to be ignorant. But it's not okay to stay ignorant. The people said, we did not understand. We don't understand. And I know we use ignorant in a, in a way, you know, that is denigrating or talk down to people. But the truth is, all of us are ignorant to some kind of things. I don't know a thing about medicine, so I'm ignorant where it concerns that. I don't have to know anything about it, engineering. Well, I shouldn't say that. I did do engineering. But I, did, I don't know anything about some things. And I'm ignorant to that fact. And so when I'm talking about ignorant, I'm talking about not knowing. It's okay to be ignorant, but it's not okay to stay ignorant. The second thing about this is, is that admitting that you do not know is the first step toward growth. Admitting that you do not know is the first step toward growth. Our problem is, is because we do not want to admit that we do not know, we often miss opportunities for us to grow. Because we don't want to say, I don't know that, or I don't understand, we miss out on opportunities to be better to be better positioned, to be in a better place, to take advantage of the opportunity and the resources that are available to us. And oftentimes that comes from a place of pride because we don't want to say or people to realize that we just don't know. But these people came to Jesus and they said, we don't understand. We need you to explain it. The third thing I want you to know about that from that verse is that when you don't know and you've come to that place that you realize you don't know, then you must ask the right questions of the right people. You must ask the right questions of the right people. There's no need you asking somebody who also does not know. All you're doing is compounding ignorance. Jesus said of them, they're blind, leaders of the blind. And you know what he said will happen to them? They'll both fall into a ditch. But when we congregate, oftentimes we congregate with people around us. Oftentimes we try to keep people around us who we feel superior to. And so when we don't know and they don't know, none of us knows and none of us are getting better at it. I used to hang out on the blocks. And so when we were on the blocks, of course, we solved all of the world's problem on the blocks. But it was always limited to what we knew right there. And so all we did was compound ignorance. We may have used a little bit more eloquent words. But we still did not know. But we did not want to admit we did not know. So in order to get rid of ignorance, you have to ask the right questions of the right people. And that's why these people came to Jesus. They were saying, Lord, I understand that you were trying to tell us something, but really it flew over my head. We missed it. We do not understand what it is that you were trying to say. 
And so Jesus went on to explain to them about the parable that he told at the beginning of the Gospel of John chapter 10. And he told them how he was the gate and he was the one giving access. And this is one of those I am claims that Jesus made of himself. If you look in verse 7, he says, I am the gate. Or some versions may have, I am the door. But he was basically saying, I am the one who gives access. I give you access into the sheepfold. I give you access into pastures. I give you access into my presence. I am. And we know of some of the other I am's that he he said, he talked about in in the the gospel of John. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. He says to them, I am the way. He's talking about direction. He's the only way. There is no other way to God but through Christ Jesus. He's saying, I am the way. But he says that not only am I the way, I am also the truth. I am the principles upon which you should build your life because truth does not change. Facts may change, but truth principles does not fact is today is Sunday but tomorrow that fact will change because it will be Monday then but Jesus says I am the truth and he says I am the life he 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 talked of himself he says I am the light they that follow after me will no longer walk in darkness He is so much to us. He says that I am the gate and I give them access. Anybody else who came were thieves and robbers. But my purpose today is not to explain that parable. It's to focus on the statement that Jesus makes in verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. And we know what a shepherd is. A shepherd is one who cares for a group or flock of animals, who protects them and provides for them, who leads them, who takes care of them. And we also use it metaphorically as one who cares for a group of people. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. But he describes himself as a good shepherd. The connotation meaning that there are some shepherds that are not good. And the word he uses for good there means not only that I am skilled and well equipped for what I do. Not only do I have competence in this area, but he uses good to say, I am morally sound also. So not only am I good at what I do, but I have a moral basis that influences my decisions, that influences my commitment, that influences what I do for you, where I lead you, how I provide for you, how I protect you. He says, I am the good shepherd. And that means that there are some shepherds that are not good at all. 
in the book of Ezekiel chapter 34. If you would turn there, God was giving the message to the prophet and he was talking about this same thing with regards to Israel. He was letting them know that there were some, pro- some shepherds that were not good. Verse 1, he says, Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you shepherds who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? He says, shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? He says, you're bad shepherds because you're selfish. You feed yourselves instead of your flock. You take care of yourself instead of your flock. He says, shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? Verse 3, you drink the milk, you wear the wool, and you butcher the best of the animals but you let your flocks starve. See, that's a bad shepherd. You want all of the benefits, but you don't invest anything into the flock that you are responsible for. See, that's a bad shepherd. Verse 4, you have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You've not gone looking for those who've wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. He's saying, that's how bad shepherds look. You don't care for them. You don't go after them when they go astray and they start to fall behind. When they're lost, you don't seek them out. He says, that's bad shepherd. And you rule them with harshness and cruelty. But Jesus said, I'm not like that. I'm not any old shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. And so we want to talk about four things that the good shepherd does And the first one is the good shepherd provides. In our text, he says, yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. He says, I'm going to provide you with good pastures. I'm going to provide what it is that you need. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. He says, I'm going to provide for you and give you a rich and satisfying life. In the King James Version, it says, to give you life and life more abundantly. And I know immediately when we think about a rich and satisfying life or when we think about life and life more abundantly, immediately our mind goes to material things. Why? Because there are so many people who have a lot of money and have a lot of things and they will tell you that their life is not satisfying. 
Because those things only have context. Context to where they bring some uh, um, level of satisfaction to you. And before you know it, it's not enough. Before you know it, it doesn't bring you any peace. Before you know it, it doesn't bring you any contentment. I'm not saying that it's bad to be rich. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, but if you're depending on rich to be satisfied in life, it's not enough. It will never be enough. If just being rich was enough to be satisfied in life, then the multi-billionaires that we have in the world today would not continue to invest their money to try to get more money. says, I want to give you a rich and a satisfying life. I want to provide for you. He says, I want to be that one who provides for you. One that you can trust for. Let's look back at Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 2. And verse 4, because just as they talk about um, how the bad shepherd is, it also tells us then that the opposite of these things should be what a good shepherd provides for their sheep. And so verse 2 says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and tell them that this is what the Lord God says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed their flock? And so he's saying that the good shepherd would provide for their flock. He says, I'm a good shepherd and I will provide for you. In verse 4, he says, this is also what a good shepherd would do. He says, he says this is what the bad shepherd does. He says, you have not taken care of the weak. And he says, a good shepherd would provide care for the weak, so that when we find ourselves in those moments when we are weak and we're struggling and we need strength that we do not have, God is able to provide us with the strength that we need so that we can move on to the next level, so that we can get through whatever it is that we may be faced with. He says, I am that good shepherd. And when you're weak, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. He says, that's what I provide for you. He says, you've not tended to the sick or bound up the injured. He says, I will care for you. When you're sick, I will provide you with healing. I will provide you with care. When you're injured, I will be there for you to help you through this so you don't have the struggle along. He says, that's what a good shepherd does. does. He said, I will provide for you. In Psalm 23, most of you know it by heart, David, the king who started out as a shepherd boy, he knew why he used this metaphor. When he said of it, the Lord is my shepherd because he understood what a good shepherd really looked like, what a shepherd really provided. And this is what he said. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And the New International Version says, I lack nothing. He says, because the Lord is my shepherd, and he's a good shepherd, I lack nothing. That doesn't mean that we may not have the things that we want, but it means that we will always have what we need. 
It means that just as Paul says that my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. He says that's what he's talking about. You lack nothing that you need. There may be things in our life that we want more of. But the fact that we're here today means that God supplies what we need. I was sharing with the early service and I'll share it here. I remember I grew up with my aunt. And I call her mom because I was in her house and her care from a very early age. My mom had me as a teenager. And I was in the house at a very early age. So I grew up calling her and her husband mom and daddy because everybody else in the house was calling them mom and daddy. You know? And I lived with her until I got married. So I always call her mom. In fact, most people didn't even know she was not my mother until she died. But I remember when her and daddy broke up. And we had to go live with my mom, whose marriage also fell apart at that time. And she was just living in a small four-room house. Just a small four-room house. And there were ten of us in a four-room house. And we went through some rough times. But God provided We didn't always have chicken to eat. We didn't always have fish to eat. Sometimes we just ate tea and bread. Mom would knead those dough and she would bake loaves and loaves of bread and we would eat over that sometimes for days to get us through until something else came along. He provided. We were not eating luxuriously, but we didn't get skinny. Old people say a belly full is a belly full. He provided. And all the boys, because the house was small, in the nighttime we would turn the sofa up and we would put the cushions on the ground and that would be our pillow and we would line off there. But you couldn't tell we didn't. We didn't have all the luxuries and stuff because of the amount of laughter and fun that we had in that house. Because God provided. We were not in a mansion, but we were not outside. God provided. Eventually, my, my, my mother and my mom <laughs> expanded on the house and they were able to make it into a four-bedroom house. So we gone from a four-room house to a four-bedroom house. But our room that they gave to, the, to, to some of the boys, uh, there were two rooms for the boys, but I remember the room we were in, I was telling someone the other day that my closet is now bigger than that room. God provides. Because that room, it only had enough room for the bunk bed that four of us slept in, two up top, two to the bottom, and a dresser. That's it. That's how big that room was. So that was like six by something, six like eight or something like that. It's a small room. But God provided. Because he's that kind of faithful God who provides. David says, he's my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And I've seen his faithfulness over the years. Because even though I am not wealthy in in, in finances, God has blessed me exponentially. And so I have seen it. That he can lead us in the green pastures if we just trust him 
to be the good shepherd that he is. David says, I know something about the shepherd and the Lord. He is my shepherd. And because he is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The good shepherd not only provides, the good shepherd protects. To protect means to keep from, to keep safe from harm or injury. But also means to defend to guard and to seal. That's what it means. Jesus was describing um, 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 how a bad shepherd would be in, in these verses. He says in verse 12, he says, a hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him. And he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. Verse 13, the hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. He said he doesn't really care about the sheep. So he runs away when trouble comes. But, but the good shepherd, he protects us. A good shepherd, he defends us. A good shepherd, he, he guards us. A good shepherd shields us. That's what Job, in, in the book of Job, that was talking about. If you remember the story, the Bible says when the sons of God came to present themselves to God, um, um, they, they also came among them with Satan. And God asked him, he says, where did you come from? And he says, I was up and down and to and fro about in the earth. And God asked him, did you consider my servant Job? And this is what Satan's testimony was. He says, yes, I have considered Job and I have found that you have a hedge around him. And so when I tried to get next to him, I couldn't because you had him protected. When I tried to get next to his marriage, I found that I couldn't because you had him protected. When I tried to get next to his children, I found that I couldn't because you had him protected. When I tried to get next to his household, I found that I couldn't because you had him hedged in. When I tried to get next to his possession, I couldn't because you had him hedged in. A good shepherd protects. And God protects us. He shields us in. He keeps us safe from the attacks of the enemy. When we think about a good shepherd and he protects him, we think about Elijah. When the servant was getting nervous because he saw the armies and Elijah said, God, open his eyes so that he can see. And when the servant's eyes was opened, he beheld the, the angels surrounding the army. This Elijah told him, there are more who are with us than those who are against us. A good shepherd protects. David, the author of the psalm that we just talked about, he himself, as I mentioned earlier, was first a shepherd. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, there was this giant who was defying the armies of Israel. And he was coming out there and he was challenging them on a daily basis and making them feel that they were insufficient and not qualified to even face him. And he was cursing them and he was cursing God. 
And David, who had came, his father had given him a break from, the, from mining the sheep. He came there to bring some stuff to his brothers. And he heard this challenge. And David says, it seems like y'all have a problem. Now I want to know what could be done if I solve this problem y'all have. And that's okay, you know. It's, it's okay to find out what you can get if you solve a problem. You know, if there's something wrong in your workplace that you know could be improved, that needs some innovation, go to the boss and say, it seems to me that we have a problem. What should be done to the man that should fix this problem? <laughs> That's what David said. He says, what will be done for the man who solves this problem? Because the biggest and strongest man physically in Israel is hiding out in the tent. Because Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else in Israel, but he was in a tent. He wasn't even trying to come out there to Goliath. He says, what should be done for this man? And they heard the mumblings and they took him to Saul. And we pick it up in verse 34. And says, but David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on thee, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. David says a shepherd protects. He says, when that lion and that bear came, I didn't just run. I didn't abandon my sheep to them. And when they snatched away a sheep, I didn't leave that sheep to be destroyed by the enemy. I went after him because that sheep needed defending. That sheep needed rescuing. He is the good shepherd, Jesus says, and a good shepherd protects. David was a good shepherd. He went out and he fought for the life of that sheep. Because a good shepherd protects. Not only does a good shepherd provide, not only does the good shepherd protects, but the good shepherd also pursues. I'm not naive to think that, that everybody in this church here today or everybody watching online has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But I will tell you this, that God never stopped pursuing you. He continues to go after you because he desires for us to have and to be in fellowship with him. That fellowship that was broken by sin. Because what has separated us from God? Your iniquity has separated you from your God. But he desires fellowship. And so he continues to pursue us. Because that's what the good shepherd does. Verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. Wherever you are in your relationship with God, I guarantee you this, that God knows you. But his desire is for you to know him. 
and for you to know him in a personal way. And so he continues to go after you. And that's why when you hear the gospel, there's a nudging in your heart. That's why when you hear the gospel, there's a conviction in your spirit. That's why when you hear the gospel, there's something that continues to compel you to come. You've been resisting him for a long period of time, but that's God going after you. He's pursuing you because he desires fellowship with you. He desires relationship with you. He desires that you know him. Whom to know is life eternal. The good shepherd pursues. Verse 16, Jesus says, I have other sheep too. that are not of the sheepfold, I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. And he's saying, I have other sheep too. And he's obviously speaking to Jews and Israelites at this time. And so he's letting them know that the Gentiles, that's us, that he's also coming after us. And so he's coming after you because he wants to bring you into the sheepfold. And he says, it's not going to be a this sheepfold and a that sheepfold. He says, it's going to be one flock. And he wants to bring you in. And that's why he's going after you. That's why God sent Jesus into the world because he had you on his mind, because he was pursuing you, because he desired to be in fellowship with you, because he wanted to give you an opportunity for salvation through Jesus Christ. He recognized that we were separated from him. And he wanted us to know that we were on his mind and in his heart. Ezekiel chapter 34, going back there again in verse 4, one of the things that he rebuked the shepherds for in verse 4, he says, you have not taken care of the weak, you have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. He says, you have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. One of his critics was is that they did not pursue those who had wandered away. But if you're backslidden, God is still pursuing you. If you are lost, God is still pursuing you. If you don't know him, God is pursuing you because he desires that you be saved because his will is not that none should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. He is pursuing you because he wants you to be saved. You don't have to live in sin and you don't have to die in sin. God is coming after you with all his heart. He's coming after you because he wants you. John 3 and 16, he says, he loved this world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but that they should have everlasting life. In verse 17, it says, for Christ came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He's pursuing us. Even though we wandered from him, he says, a good shepherd pursues him. And that's why Jesus told them, he says, I have come not but for the lost. He says, I've come not for the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He says, I've come to seek after the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's what I've come for. I've come to pursue you. 
But this is what God says to, to the prophet in verse 11 of, of Ezekiel chapter 34. He says, for this is the, what the Lord God says in verse 11. Behold, I myself will search for my flock and seek them out. He says, I, I will search for you. I will seek you out. And that's why when you hear this message, it keeps ringing. And you have to fight yourself so hard to turn down God and his beckoning and his calling and his conviction. Because you know that he's calling you. You know that he's drawing you. He says, I will search for my flock and seek them out. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, it says, He tends his flocks like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart because that's how special you are to God. He cares for you because he's a good shepherd. And then he wants to hold you close. He wants to hold you close because he desires that fellowship. And that's why when he showed up and Adam was not in place, he says, Adam, where are you? And today I'm sure that there is somebody who is under the sound of my voice. Whether you're in this place right now or you're watching. He's saying, where, where are you? Come, let us reason together. The good shepherd Pursues. Jesus told the parable about this in Luke chapter 15. In verse 4, it says, If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? God is pursuing after you because he realized that you've separated yourself from this flock and he desires for you to be in full communion and fellowship with him. He desires for you to have eternal life. He desires you to be set free from your sin. And he said, when that happens, there will be rejoicing. To pursue means to go after until you attain, capture, lay hold of. And that's what God is doing. He's pursuing you because he wants to attain, capture, lay hold of you, of your life. And he made it easier for us. He desires relationship with us. And so he sent Jesus so that it would be easier for us to reconnect with him. And so not only does the good shepherd provides, protects, and pursues, but the good shepherd provides propitiation. See, the truth is, sin separated us from God and sin had to be satisfied. And so Jesus Christ was that atonement. Here's what Jesus had to say, verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Verse 15. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. He says, I'm giving my life for you. 
Because sin has to be satisfied. Justice has to be served. And if justice for sin is death, according to the word of God, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. He says that had to be satisfied. And so I had to die so that you wouldn't have to. He says he was the propitiation. That's just a big word for the atonement. I mean, atonement is a big word too, but. He says, I sacrifice my life for the sheep. First John chapter two, verse two, the New King James Version says, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. He says, he didn't just die for us who are already saved, but he died for the world so that those who have that opportunity would come and embrace what Christ has done for us. The New International Version says, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours, but not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's what Jesus did. And his motivation was love. Later on down in this, he says, I'm laying down my life of my own accord. He says, nobody is taking my life. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. I am laying down my life for you. He says that for a good person, some would even dare to die. But in this was God's love commended towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He became the atoning sacrifice for our sins. While we were still lost, while we had still strayed away, he says, this is the way for you to get back. And that's why he says, I am the way. No man cometh unto the Father but my being. Because we have got to pass through that blood that we've been talking about, singing about in this service today. That's where the atonement comes in. Motivated by love. First John chapter 3 verse 16 says, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. He said, that's true love. He says, Jesus gave up his life for us. We shouldn't have the doubt about what real love is. It was demonstrated for us on the cross. Jesus gave up his life for us. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Because I don't want the sheep to have to pay. I am paying the price. That's what this table here is all about, that we are about to go at. It is about Jesus Christ offering himself for us. His broken body, his shed blood, so that we can be reconciled with God, so that we can walk in newness of life, so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be one with God again. He made it possible. 
he did it voluntarily. He says, no man takes my life. I have the power to lay it down. And I have the power to take it up again. Stand to your feet with me, please, as we prepare to go to the Lord's table.